it's time for episode 11 of the Christians with Questions podcast. We want to welcome you back. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Josh, and I am your host, where each week we look at a question and mull it around a bit and see what God has to say about it. Now, this week we have an interesting question. It is, is socialism biblical? And I received this question several months ago, but socialism is a topic that I have heard repeatedly discussed as of late. Um, for multiple reasons, with Bernie Sanders having put in, um, you know, been put in the spotlight so much, um, he recently put in his bid for labor secretary in Biden's administration. Then you have the likes of Alexandria Ocasio Cortez frequently getting attention, um, often because she says outlandish things. And certainly there is the far leaning left in American politics that would like to implement some form of socialism if not full-blown socialism, certainly more socialistic programs. And so let's dive into this topic. It's an interesting one, and I should give a disclaimer here. I am not a political scientist. Um, I don't have a degree in economics. I'm simply a Christian trying to make sense out of the world through the lens of the Christian worldview. And with topics like this, there's so much we could say. Volumes of books have been written and so our goal is not to go you know, down to the bedrock of this topic, but just to give us something to think about and something to chew on for a little bit. Now, I think it's important to note that Christianity can thrive under any form of government because, in fact, it has. If it couldn't, Christianity would have been wiped out a long time ago. I mean, it thrived in Rome under fierce persecutions. It has thrived in China. Um, we could look at many periods in history where Christianity has been under the thumb of government, and yet it has grown and you know exploded in numbers. In fact, Christianity seems to thrive the most when persecution is the greatest, and Christianity seems to thrive greatly even when it's illegal to practice according to the government. So Christianity can thrive under a um, capitalist system. It can thrive under a socialist system, under a communist system, under a monarchy. We've seen it throughout the ages. So Christianity can work under any form of government. But the question under discussion is whether socialism is biblical. Does it flow out of a Christian way to understand the world, uh, mankind, and how people should be governed? Now, I run into people from time to time that feel that early Christianity was, in fact, socialistic or that Jesus was perhaps a socialist. I see this on the interwebs all the time, that Jesus was a socialist and he advocated for you know, this, this sort of way of understanding the world. So let's begin by defining some terms. Um, you probably know this, but I think it's best to kind of put us in a common language here. What exactly is socialism? And so I'm going to go to Webster's Dictionary, just to give us a basic definition. Here's what Merriam-Webster says. It says, Of any various economic and political theories advocating collective or governmental ownership and administration of the means of production and distribution of goods. It says it's a system of society or group living in which there is no private property or a system or condition of society in which the means of production are owned and controlled by the state. And then last um, definition here is a stage of society in Marxist theory, transitional between capitalism and communism, and distinguished by unequal distribution of goods and pay according to work done. So with that being said, I think it would also be beneficial for us as Americans to be able to contrast that 
definition of socialism with capitalism. And so again, I'm just pulling up from Merriam-Webster. Capitalism is an economic system characterized by private or corporate ownership of capital goods, by investments that are determined by private decision, and by prices, production, and the distribution of goods that are determined mainly by competition in the free market. So really, what we'll have to do is compare these two forms of government and see which one holds closer to a biblical standard. Because I'm assuming when the question was asked, is socialism biblical? Um, it was due to much of the discussion that's going on in our country. Would, would socialism serve people better from a biblical perspective? Or would capitalism, uh, the continued implementation and maintenance of capitalism, be better? And so before we compare those and see which one holds to a more consistent biblical worldview, I don't think we can discuss socialism without understanding Karl Marx. Now, Marx saw socialism as the transition from capitalism to communism. Now, I'm not trying to imply that if America has leanings towards socialism, that it will become a communist regime. Allegedly, socialism is still possible within a democratic society, but it seems to me that is pretty risky because when government starts to you know, grab power, what I want to know is who's going to tell them to stop. Um, socialism has long been the pathway to communism. And as a person, as an American, as an individual, that would give me some pause uh, when considering socialism. And I'm honestly often um, surprised by the widespread appeal of socialism to so many people, especially millennials. Now, Marxism grew out of naturalism. And if you don't know what naturalism is, naturalism is a worldview um, that the starting presupposition is that God does not exist. The only thing that exists is the material world. And so Marx was an atheist. And so Marxism and his theories on socialism grew out of this naturalism. And so at its core, I would argue, socialism is an atheistic and humanistic philosophy. It assumes a positive nature of man, which is sort of a contradiction because, you know, largely socialism sees um, man as being competitive and not taking care of one another. So I think that's contradictory. But it assumes a positive nature of man and it looks for a utopian future as man cooperates freely. Um, but sinful mankind has never and will never reach this utopian vision without God. And so right out of the gate, one must understand that socialism, when one traces it to its roots, was born in atheism um, because it believes that religion creates inequity in a society and that is problematic. And you see that now with so much of what's going on. Uh, you know, it's re religiosity, specifically Christianity, is viewed as creating inequity in various people groups. Now to look a little further at Marx's understanding of socialism, I'm going to quote from The Universe Next Door, which is a book written by James Sire. And it is a tremendous book. It looks at the major worldviews um, that have shaped Western civilization, Western thought, and gives you a comparative analysis. And so in his chapter um, on naturalism, he speaks about Karl Marx and socialism. And so the description here is of the descent of capitalism into socialism um, and and then on from there to communism, and it is striking. So let me just read this to you. 
He says, as Marx saw it, the economic dynamics of capitalism will necessarily lead to a society in which the proletariat, which is the working class, um, are more and more numerous and more and more exploited. Capitalist societies become more and more productive, but wealth is more and more narrowly distributed. Eventually, the concentration of wealth leads to a society in which more is produced than can be purchased, and overproduction leads to unemployment and more suffering. At last, the proletariat will be forced to revolt, which is interesting to me with so much that's been going on and the riots and the looting. So he continues on. Sire says, For Marx, the revolt of the proletariat will be different from any previous revolution. In the past, one social class overthrew a rival oppressing class and became in its turn the oppressor. The proletariat, the, the working class, will, however, be the majority and not a minority. They have no vested interest in the old order of things, so it will be in their own best interest to abolish the whole system of class oppression. And we are seeing so much of this in the United States right now, this idea that we have to completely abolish um, the, the class oppression. He says, the material abundance created by modern technology makes this a real possibility for the first time in human history, since without such abundance, struggle and competition and oppression would inevitably break out in new forms. The new classless society that will emerge will make possible what Marxists call the new socialist individual. People will supposedly be less individualistic and competitive and more apt to find fulfillment in working for the good of others. Now, doesn't that just sound incredibly great? He says, The alienation of all previous societies will be overcome and a new, higher form of human life will emerge. This vision, in many ways, parallels to the Christian vision of the coming of the kingdom of God, and it is therefore easy to see why some have characterized Marxism as a Christian heresy. Now, so much of what Sire writes here, and he's just simply you know, retelling to us uh, Marxist thoughts, it seems um, like we are living so much of this. Now, the, the difficult thing is, you know, this sounds great that we live in this utopian society, um, yet it's been tried repeatedly and repeatedly over and over, and it's never worked. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, why hasn't it worked? And again, we're trying to look at this from a Christian perspective to see, well, is socialism a good thing? Now, I think we should ask ourselves, what is admirable about socialism? Now, if it had no redeeming qualities, if it wasn't built on you know, some kernel of um, goodness, few would see it as beneficial. So why do some people think that Jesus also was a socialist? Well, to me... It seems that people look to socialism this way because on the surface, it has a concern for the poor. It has a concern for inequity. It has a concern for seeing people's basic needs met. And Jesus was also concerned over the poor and seeing people taken care of. Now, many people also view Jesus as rebellious and seditious. Um, but Jesus wasn't rebelling against or protesting against the government. He was pushing back on religious elitism. He was showing that man should have concern for his fellow man. Jesus wasn't promoting that, you know, the government create an equitable world. He was promoting that individuals create a world where men love one another. 
And that's why all throughout the New Testament, it talks about loving one another. See that you love one another. See that you forgive one another, that you care for one another, that you show kindness for one another. And so that was Jesus's concern. Um, well, Jesus's main concern was that you know we our, our sin problem be dealt with and that we look to him um, to to make us righteous and give us a right standing before God. But Jesus also had a concern that we care for other people um, and look out for one another. Now, I want to quote some from John Piper because he writes on this. He says, I think the first thing I should say is that in the church, no one should go hungry. No one should be without a place to stay. No one should fail to get the health care they need. No one should go without a job if it is possible for believers to help them find one, and so on. All of this should happen through the free and uncoerced, and that's an important word, uncoerced help of other believers. And so Piper notes, as I think many well-intentioned people do that perhaps look to socialism to solve some of the problems that man faces, um, Piper notes that as, as Christians, we should have this concern over other people, um, whether they have food to eat, a dry place to sleep, and whether they can get their basic needs met, including healthcare. Now, what I do see in society sometimes is a, a redefinition of basic needs. Um, basic needs is not an iPhone 12. Basic needs is not cable TV. Um, basic needs is not, you know, a steak dinner. And so I think there is, we should seek to see people's needs met. But if some people want to work harder to be able to have nicer things and some people don't, well, there's no reason to redistribute wealth because one person desires to work harder than another. But certainly we should have a concern to see people's basic needs met. But that should be done at an individual level, not at a government level. I'm going to continue on with Piper here because he really addresses an argument that I hear being peddled a lot that you know the early Christian church was in fact socialist. So he says, when Luke writes in Acts 2, 44 through 45, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Ha! That's socialism, right? Well, wrong. Piper goes on. What he means is that every need was being met by other believers, even if they had to sell things that they owned in order to help them meet uh, these needs. And this was done freely. It didn't remove, but rather presumed the ownership of private property. Let me say what Piper says again. It didn't remove, but rather presumed the ownership of private property. Indeed, all of the Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, assumes both the legit legitimacy and think the necessity of personal ownership. And so the Old Testament and the New Testament both assume that owning private property is a necessity and it's legitimate. Now, certainly, Christianity teaches that we should help our fellow man. This is a core factor of Christianity. Jesus modeled this for us. He came to save mankind when we could not save ourselves, and he humbled himself even to dying on a cross for our sins. And so looking to him as our model, we should seek to help the helpless as well. James 1.27 also reminds us, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. And so, 
I think there are perhaps some well-meaning people who look at the state of the world and they genuinely want to see things get better for the less fortunate. And that is admirable because that is how it should be. Yet to me, it seems naive to think that socialism or even socialist programs will fix any of the problems that man is facing. It also shows a naivety in regards to history because socialism has simply never worked. And you'll always hear, well, that's because it was not done correctly. It's because it was implemented wrong. But in reality, it's the same old ideas, um, the, the same bit that Karl Marx was trying to sell and peddle, and it just has not worked. And so let's examine its problems and find where it departs from a Christian worldview. Now, while Christianity teaches compassion, socialism forces it. The government dictates it. It's coercive. And if there's anything I've learned about the human nature of people, it's when you make people do something, when you coerce people, it backfires every single time because there's something within man that does not like to be coerced. And I think also socialism fails to account for man's sinful nature. There will always be people who try to live at the expense of other people, regardless of what sort of government there is, regardless of how the economic system um, works. There will always be people who hoard resources for themselves, whether it be private citizens or whether it is those in government calling the shots. When sinful people's incentive to create and work hard is removed, do we really expect them to be innovative? Do we really expect them to work to produce and to overproduce? Socialism simply creates a dependency on government and it destroys man's work ethic, which is a sharp contrast to biblical Christianity, which encourages people to work hard. You go back to Genesis and you look at the creation mandate um, where we are encouraged to create and subdue the subdue the earth and so the only the only way that people do that um, is that they have the freedom to be able to do that and the reason socialism is also attractive to many people is because they don't want to work they want someone else to work now again I'm not saying that there aren't people who are impoverished and there aren't people that need some help and a leg up and there are certainly people that that are get trampled on due to the system. That's certainly the case. But there is also a large percentage of people that want someone else to work, and they want to reap what they didn't sow. They want the blessings of hard work, but not to do that themselves. And so socialism stifles the work ethic that God has called men to. And again, I'm going to continue quoting Piper here. He says, it may be that Bernie Sanders is naming things in our society that need addressing. I don't doubt that this is the case. There are no doubt real injustices that make it harder for the poor to move out of poverty and make it easier for the rich to do wrong and get away with it. But I doubt that holding up Denmark's economic model as the way forward, which Sanders does, is the path of wisdom. Forbes, for example, reports that out of a total population of 5.6 million Little more than 2 million are state pensioners, unemployed, sick, or on social transfer payments for other reasons. And another 800,000 are employed by the public sector. That's half the population employed by the state or sustained by money channeled through the state. Or to put it another way, out of 5.6 million people in Denmark, there are only about 1.8 million that are not directly dependent on the state for payments 
of some sort. And even among this group, there is a high focus on cheap, subsidized childcare, free healthcare, child bonus payments, subsidizing housing, and a large number of ways to secure additional income from the state. Just an example. Students get five years of free tuition at state universities, and I read of a married student who gets a $900 stipend from the state and free child care. So basically, living totally off the state for those university years. Now, political liberals analyze this all ana, political liberals analyze this all over Europe right now, and everybody says these systems are under pressure. That is the word that is used by liberals. They are under pressure, like most of the entitlement states of Europe. Conservatives say it's a ticking time bomb. In other words, almost everybody says it can't go on. The crisis in Greece is the forerunner. And no matter how angry people may get when their entitlements are threatened or taken away, you can't create tax income out of nowhere. And the support base is not going to be there indefinitely. Not to mention other disincentives that plague socialist economies over the long haul. And so it just cannot sustain itself. You know, the Bible says if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. And so if you continually create a group of people that's dependent on somebody else to provide for him, eventually that is a house of cards that is going to fall. Now, there is nothing in Scripture that lends itself to socialism other than the need to care for people. And this should be done especially by Christians. But the government's involvement is not the solution. Also, there's nothing in Scripture that forbids ownership of private property. Instead, we see multiple examples where private property is owned. Um, Two of the Ten Commandments, you shall not steal and you shall not covet, imply private property ownership. Um, Stealing involves taking something that is someone else's, and coveting involves desiring what is somebody else's. There's also extensive provisions to repay the owners of property and livestock if one's actions um, cause harm to them. So you can see Exodus 22 for that. And then in multiple places in in Deuteronomy um, and the Old Testament, God warns his people that you shall not move your neighbor's landmark. Um, And so you see this, this division of property. Now, we should ask, does capitalism leave room for people to be exploited? Well, of course, absolutely. We see that. But it seems that socialism does so as well, and it would seem to me even far worse. Under capitalism, many goods and services are provided based off of competition. This gives us many different options for goods and services. So if one product is bad, we can try a different product. I have been ripped off by businesses and companies before, and what do I do? Well, I learn not to use those companies again. And if this happens enough, others will do the same, and either that company will stock ripping people off, or they'll fix their product, or the company folds. Under socialism, you might only have one product, like, for example, healthcare, uh, offered by the government. And if it's poor, if the government rips you off, guess what? You're stuck. You have no other option. Uh, you talk about being exploited. Free markets allow for people to demand a good product. Now, Alexander Solzhenitsyn noted in 2003, In different places over the years, I've had to prove that socialism, which to many Western thinkers is a sort of kingdom of justice, was in fact full of coercion, of bureaucratic greed, and corruption, and avarice, and consistent within itself that socialism cannot be implemented without the aid of coercion. 
Communist propaganda would sometimes include statements such as, we include almost all the commandments of the gospel in our ideology. The difference is that the gospel asks ask all this to be achieved through love, through self-limitation, but socialism only uses coercion. The care for humanity that people want will only be achieved through real, lived-out Christianity, not through some coercive government program. And the problem of inequity in our society is a double-edged sword, as I've mentioned before. People do without the resources they need at times because of man's greed, because of man's stinginess, and because of man's jealousy. Yet, people also do without because they refuse to work and to sponge off those who do. And it should be pointed out that both of these are sinful. And neither capitalism or socialism can fix the problems of man. Yet at least capitalism leaves some room for the problems to be addressed. Socialism simply does not. It looks to the government to be our savior. And government can even fix itself and manage its own debt. There's no way that it's going to manage ours. Only God can point us in the direction of, you know, through scripture of managing, you know, problems such as finances. And certainly only God is the solution to our sinful problem. Uh, and, and as such directs us to treat our fellow man with compassion. And so you might ask yourself, when it comes to this double-edged sword of inequity, um, am I falling on either side of that? Is my sin that I don't care about the plight of my fellow man? Um, Am I being stingy? Am I being greedy? Am I trying to further my own kingdom and hoard my own money? Or do I fall on the end of the spectrum where I'm lazy and I simply do not want to work for the things that I desire? And so we have to figure out where we land there. So what we need now more than ever is for Christians to not look to the government to fix our problems and for Christians to live truly Christian lives, to be burdened by the poor, the hungry, and the hurting. And so as we've gone through some of this, is socialism biblical? Well, no, we can't say it's biblical. It was honestly rooted in atheistic philosophy. Um, Neither can we say, quote-unquote, that capitalism is biblical. Um, But we do see throughout Scripture that there's no problem scripturally with owning private property. Um, And certainly capitalism is an amoral thing, Uh, and so, but it can be used in a morally good way or morally reprehensible way. And also, as we've seen, it seems that capitalism leaves less room for people to be exploited than would a true implementation of socialism. And so again, I think as Christians, what we need to take away from this is that it's our time to be the church. So that concludes our episode this week. Um, Thank you so much for joining us. And as usual, if you have a question you want to submit to be featured on the podcast, you can email us at christianswithquestionspodcast at gmail.com. That's christianswithquestionspodcast at gmail.com. Or find us on Facebook, give us a like, and you can send us a message there. And so thanks so much for tuning in for about 30 minutes to chew on this topic. And so I would be curious to hear what you think. Um, what are your thoughts on this whole idea of socialism that is constantly in the limelight now? And for Christians, if we do start to drift toward a socialistic nation, 
what should be our response? Because I hear people all the time say, well, you know what, I can't, I can't live under that. So does that mean that we rebel against the government when, in fact, Paul said that we are to submit to the government because government is established by God? That's Paul's thoughts on that in Romans. So where do we draw that line? What would seem to me we draw that line uh, when it comes to the government asking to do things that are contrary to Christianity. Otherwise, we live as peaceful citizens and keep our focus on the gospel. So I would love to have you weigh in on this. Um, Leave us a comment on Facebook or you can email us, but it would be much more fun to have it in a forum type discussion. So thanks again. We will see you next week right here on the Christian School Questions Podcast.